0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Welcome, everybody. I want to say a shout out to all the ladies who came here Friday night and had just a blast. If you ladies had a good time, let me hear you say amen. I know you did. I know you ate well. I know you had a lot of laughs. And uh, Shannon said it was just a wonderful time for all the ladies just to be a part. She said, you know, I was so excited just to see the relationships blossoming in people's uh, lives. These ladies just just growing with one. another. let me tell you something. The journey is much funner when you have somebody to journey with you. Amen. And some of us guys just don't understand that woman talk. We can't get it. Don, we just can't get it. We just don't get it. It doesn't matter how long you've. Uh, been alive as a guy, even if you've been married, you'll just never figure out that woman because the way the women think, it's just, it's beyond what God created us to do, is to figure that out. You know, women are like a, women are like the box of lights that you pull out of your attic to put all of the Christmas decor up and it's all just like that. The lights are knotted up and there's, you know, and that's when you hand it to your son and say, hey, get these knots out. It's just a big ball of lights and cords and stuff. That's a woman's brain. A man's brain is like a three-foot extension cord. It's just it. That's just all there is to it. But we thank God for you, ladies, and I'm so glad that you had a wonderful time together. I'm glad that you uh, were able to share and be a part of that. I want to make a real quick announcement. I'll make this later at the end, but December the 18th, two weeks from this morning, we will be having our family Christmas. And I just encourage you, invite friends and family to come with you. If you've got a kid on the stage, you're definitely going to want to bring family and take pictures and do all that fun stuff. It's going to be a fun, fun day uh, because we can celebrate the birth of Jesus and enjoy it with a smile because it's just the most incredible good news that's ever been shed upon this earth. So be here. Invite some friends to come with you. Let's just fill this church full of just the joy of what Christmas really is. There's a whole lot more joy that should be in the church on Christmas than at the mall or at the theaters because Jesus is the reason. It sounds cliche, but it's true. Jesus is the reason. It's not the trees or the lights or all the decorations. Jesus is the real reason. And I'm just, it thrills me. It thrills me just to think about it. So thank you for being here here ladies thank you for being a part of that and thank you for being here on the 18th it's going to be a wonderful day amen i want you to get your bibles out i want you to turn with me to the book of matthew chapter 2 and then i also want you to bookmark hebrews you can go to the book of hebrews so there's going to be two places there and i'm going to switch over my two places that you can mark in your bibles this morning to be ready to receive the word of god i encourage you bring your bibles to church. Because what if we didn't have a projector? What if, the, what if the screen suddenly goes black? How are you going to know that I'm telling you the Word of God and not just my good opinion? You need to know the Word of God because that's the one thing that matters in life is what does God say about this? What does God say about life? What does God say in my situation? What does God have to say? And that all is found in His Word. And so have your Bibles. Make it used. I still like a Bible that's made out of paper, uh, because you know exactly where you are in it. When you have your phone, the phone is not just the Bible, but it's got all types of distractions and text messages and all kinds of other things that can lead your mind astray. And I won't even ask how many people have been reading your Bible on your tablet or whatever, and all of a sudden you got sidetracked into some other app that uh, stole your time. Get you a paper Bible. Nothing's going to ding out of it unless you've got some kind of clock in the back of it. But you'll you'll not be distracted if you just take the Word of God as it is. And I like to do that. So look in Matthew chapter 5. And as we approach Christmas, I want to talk to you about gifts. How many of you have already bought some gifts this year for your, for your loved ones or families or friends? I can just tell you that I am no longer in any hot water. I have already purchased my wife's Christmas gift. I know that that is the, mar- the smartest thing a guy can do. I figured at least that ball of wires, I figured that one thing out. You better get your, get your wife something early, okay? If she sees you leaving the house on Christmas Eve and she asks, where are you going? I say, nah, I just got to make a few quick errands. It's too late, buddy. She knows what's happened. You forgot. You spent your wheels doing something else. I've already bought it. So, babe, there's going to be a present under the tree we talk about gifts and specifically what I want us to talk about are not the gifts that we give to each other, but the gifts that were given to Jesus. There were specific gifts given to Jesus. And you can read about that in the story in Matthew chapter two. And the Bible says that in those days, when Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, under the reign of King Herod, about 2000 years ago, that there were shepherds and there were and there were sheep, and there were Mary and Joseph, and all of these characters were apart. But one of the most important parts, one of the parts that fill our hearts and fill the stories next door, as Pastor Chris talks talks to the children today about the Christmas story, is the wise men, or the magi, the, the men who traveled long distances in order, so as the Scripture says, to see the one who was born King of the Jews. They traveled from Persia, from from, from miles and miles away in a long, long journey to see this Jesus. And if you see the nativity scene, you know that, that you can see the one out there. We've got another smaller one. You can see that you have the wise men standing around. Now, how many wise men were there? Well, we always say that there was three, but to be honest, the Bible doesn't specify. We don't know exactly how many wise men there were. We just know that the Magi came from the east. But what we do know is we do know that they brought gifts. And they came for one reason. And that was to worship this child who was born to be a king. And they brought those gifts. And those gifts you see in Matthew chapter 2 verse 10. It says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures. One version I read was opening their treasure chests. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, let me just tell you, when my three kids were born, nobody brought to us gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. John, I wish they would have brought some gold. They can take a side note of, you know, uh, uh, maybe later on the frankincense and myrrh. But the gold would have been nice. Can somebody say amen to that? They didn't bring the gold. They brought diapers and wipes. They brought stuff like blankies and passies. They even brought one of those little things that, It's a little blue bulb that's got a little point on it, and it's a little deal. You know, the first, when Sydney was born, I was like, what is this blue bulb? And she, in her superb Oklahoma language, says, that's a booger getter. And I said, a what? She said, that's what you suck kids' noses out with. And I was like, that's the nastiest thing I've ever seen as a gift, a booger getter. I know some of y'all are like, what? That's what they are. Okay? Let's get real. That's what it was. It was a gift. So, you know what? That's why, John, I'll take the gold, even the frankincense and myrrh, over the booger getter. But, hey, it works. You know, it was important. These wise men brought gifts. They were not only valuable, but they were very practical. Just like that blue bulb that you shoved up your kid's nose. They were very practical gifts and they were also very spiritual gifts. They weren't gifts that were without thought. These wise men didn't just go, hey, let's go round up some gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and let's go take it to the king, this child that's born in Bethlehem. There was a lot of thought that was put in, and the necessity of what they were for, because what these gifts did is they foreshadowed something very important in the life of this child that was born. A very deep spiritual meaning was behind each of these gifts that the wise men, that these wise men brought. They were were smart enough to recognize what Jesus was going to become. They brought the three gifts. Gold, that represented something. Spiritually, the gold represented Jesus' kingship, that he was a king. They brought myrrh. Myrrh represented something very important that you would see later in the life of Jesus. They saw the myrrh that represented the suffering servant. We're going to talk about that next week. They saw this myrrh that represented this lamb, this sacrificial lamb that would be slain on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins. But today I want to talk about the gift of frankincense. Frankincense. Now what was this gift? What is frankincense anyway? If you had a bag of rock salt that was yellow, that's similar to what frankincense resin would look like. It was a resin that was taken from the tree, from a, from a Bosuela tree, around the, the Arabian Peninsula. So Saudi Arabia and that whole area, there's trees, and they would, they would tap those trees, drain the, drain the sap out of it, turn it into this resin, harden it so that it could be burned. The formal definition of what frankincense is, is this. It's something that, it's a a resin that possesses antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vulnerary therapeutic properties. Now what does that mean? I have absolutely no idea. But generally what I know it means is that it can be good for you. Frankincense can be very helpful for you because... If you need it, it can help you to get better, to bandage a wound, to treat sickness. And it was a very, very expensive and practical gift. They brought an expensive practical gift. You wonder why would they bring such a practical gift to Jesus? It's because of the reality of the story. Sometimes we can make the Christmas story some fairy tale holiday no different than a Disney cartoon but the story of Jesus is not some mythical thing that we spend every year talking about the story of Jesus was a real story with a real mother and a real father and a real child that was born that had to have things done for him but he was also the real son of God that was born and so more than that just these primary ingredients There would be something special about this frankincense because it wasn't just this medicinal treatment, but it was used in the Old Testament as a mixture that the priests would use. They would gather this resin and they would mix it with some other things and other fragrances and they would use it to burn inside the temple. And they would use it whenever they would offer sacrifices. As a matter of fact, they would place it with the sacrifice. They would place it upon that sacrifice so that when the sacrifice was burned, you would smell this frankincense. So as the sacrifices are being made, smoke from the altar of incense that's burning this frankincense filled the entire temple. And everybody knew what that smell was. Everybody knew the sacrifice that was being made. It was a sweet sense of frankincense and barbecue. Everybody knew what was taking place. It was hard to avoid. This incense that burned inside the temple and filled it with smoke as it rose through the ceiling symbolized the prayers of God's people rising in the presence of the Lord. Frankincense was an important part of the priestly duties. Very important. Because for this reason, that's why it was given to Jesus, because it represented something important in Jesus' life. It represented the priestly nature of Jesus, specifically Jesus as our high priest. Now, if you didn't grow up Catholic you probably have never even smelled frankincense burning in church. If you haven't grown up Catholic or or in a a mainline church, you probably don't understand even the terms of priest or high priest. You don't get it. It's a little bit confusing. If you've just grown up in Protestant churches all your life or you've never visited a Catholic mass or a Catholic uh, funeral, you don't understand this because you've never smelled that and you've never understood the duties of a priest. But in Scripture, the priests were important in the Old Testament, especially because they had one primary role and two primary functions. The priest's primary role was to just represent the people to God. In that day, in those days of revelation that God had gave, God set up a system so that the priest would would take the the people and he would represent them to God just like Aaron did. And in in the Old Testament, he became God's point man to, to communicate with the people. He represented them as the priest. And the priests functioned in two ways. They did two major functions. Number one, they offered sacrifices for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. That was a main job of the priest. The priest's job was to, number one, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And the second function that the priest did was he was supposed to pray the prayers on behalf of the people. He represented them to God. The priest was the one who would communicate with the Lord. If you grew up in that tradition, you understand that it was a little bit more common. You could understand what what this passage actually means when I say that frankincense represents the high priestly nature of Jesus because you understand what the priests do. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about those two functions of the priests and why they were so important and how they're connected to this frankincense gift that Jesus received. You see, since Genesis chapter 1, there has been a constant conflict. There has been a, 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 a forces that were opposed to one another. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of Adam and Eve. Eve, who was tempted by the serpent, took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God had told her not to take. She encouraged Adam to also take and in doing, uh, going against God's will, against God's command, against God's divine order. They took of the tree and they sinned against God. They broke ranks with God. They rebelled against the Lord. And at that moment, two opposing forces began to go head to head. One, the holiness of God and two, the sinfulness of man. To oppose forces completely opposite. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now in our culture, when you talk about this, here's the real rub. People don't really want to talk about sin anymore. They're more reluctant to talk about it because it's not really a popular subject. It's not a popular concept to hear a preacher or a pastor stand and talk about the sinfulness of the people in the church. It's not, a, it's not something that's going to gain you a lot of, a lot of members because no one wants to come and hear about the sin that they may have to deal with in their hearts. They had rather say, oh, it was a bad decision. Or I made a small mistake. It's, it just rolls off the tongue a little easier than to say, Oh, I sinned against God. I rebelled against God. They'll even argue with you people today. They'll say, you know what? Who's to tell me what is right and wrong? Because, I mean, you know, what's right for you may not be right for me. And what's wrong for me may, may not be wrong for you. I mean, who's to say that I have sinned? Maybe I'm just doing life the way I like to do it. Who's to tell me that I am the one who needs to get right with God? Some even believe that this is just an outdated concept that's used to scare and manipulate people, especially kids. I mean, why do you need to tell kids about sin when you've got Santa Claus who's making a list and checking it twice? I mean, after all, we do have the elf on the shelf that's still watching every move you make when you wake up, when you go to sleep, And we've created these traditions. Why? Because we want our kids to grow up and be nice. We want them to behave. We want them to do good. We 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 want them to to, to live good lives. But we don't want to call it sin because sin just is too harsh. The reality, folks, is this. There is an opposing force, the holiness of God, versus the sinfulness of mankind, and they are completely opposed. And what we have to understand, even in a Christmas message, in a Christmas series, we have to understand is what sin is. It is complete rebellion against God. The Bible actually says that if you love sin, you hate God. You can't love sin and love God at the same time. That is a paradox that our culture has tried to force upon us. You cannot be a Christian and live in sin at the same time. It, is not, it doesn't work. It is opposing forces. Why? Because there is constant friction between these two forces, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. They cannot cohabitate. When you understand sin, you first have to really understand God's holiness. And here's a truth I want you to get. It's in your notes. If you don't understand the holiness of God, you will always take casual approach to sin. If you don't understand the holiness of God, you will always have a casual approach to sin. If we fail to grasp, church, if we fail to grasp and to completely understand how holy and truly Perfect our God is. We will never see our own sin as being that bad. Holy is the word in the Greek that's used in the New Testament, is hagios. It means to be set apart. It's transcendentally separate. It is flawless. It is pure. The best word that you could think of holiness is this perfect. It is complete perfection. And here's what I want you to see about God. Holiness is not just an attribute, one of the many attributes of God. Holiness is the perfection of them all. Because holiness means that God is, His power is holy. That His justice is holy. That His mercy is holy. Or you could say His power is perfect. His justice is perfect that his mercy is perfect holiness is what makes God worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship we are not worshiping someone who has a few flaws but who is powerful or someone who is who you know might have made a few mistakes but still extends a lot of mercy to his people friends we worship a holy perfect pure set apart transcendent God that is above all of us no one compares to him there is there is no equal. There is no comparison. He is a holy and perfect God. And unless you see that, your sin is not that big a deal. You just go on about your life. and That's why we must see God's holy perfection. He is holy. God is perfect. And that is where the friction comes. Because we are not. You look at that person sitting next to you. No matter how much you think they are perfect. Or better yet, no matter how much they think they are perfect. They're not. They're not. They're not. None of us are holy because none of us are perfect. You see, there's the difference. The Bible says all have sinned. And that's why God hates sin is because it is everything that He is not. It's what breaks our relationship with God. They cannot cohabitate. Imperfection and perfection cannot cohabitate. They have to be dealt with, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. So God said, I've got to do something. And so he chose to reconcile us. And so in the Old Testament, he had a high priest. He instituted the priesthood. And in the Old Testament, what they would do is once a year, there would be a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They still celebrate this sacrifice that occurs in the fall of every year. Yom Kippur. The day of atonement. It's the day that the high priest would take an innocent lamb or an innocent animal and he would slice its throat and blood would pour from this innocent, perfect little, little lamb. And he would take the blood and he would catch the blood in a basin. Then he would walk into the temple of the tabernacle area and he would enter into the place of the holies. Uh, or the holy place in the temple, he would he would move past the incense and in the altar that was burning, filled with the frankincense, and he would take this into the holy place, passing behind the veil that covered the most holy place on the earth, the place where God's actual presence dwelt, and he would move into that place with the incense burning. This frankincense that he could smell rising to the ceiling in that little room, in that tabernacle or in the temple. Asking for God's mercy, representing the prayers of God's people saying we need forgiveness for our imperfection, for our unholiness, for our unrighteousness. And he would take that blood and he would begin to sprinkle that blood upon what we call the mercy seat or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. That was carried around. He would sprinkle that blood and it would symbolize the death of an innocent in the place of the guilty. And then what he would do is this animal that had, had been sacrificed. He would, he, would, he would pray to God and God would receive it as a payment for the, for, for the sin in the place of someone else. Then he would leave that holy place and he would walk out and there would be a little goat that would be standing right outside that temple area. And the high priest would go out and he would lay his hands upon that goat, which became known as the scapegoat. And he would put his hands upon that goat and he would confess all of the sins of the people. I don't know how long that took him, but I imagine it took him some time as he confessed the sins of the people upon that little goat. And as he prayed over that goat, he did something that was very symbolic. He symbolically transferred the sins of all of Israel, the unholy and the imperfect upon that goat. And then after he had prayed over that goat, he would send that goat, they would send that goat out of the camp, outside of, of the group of people. They would sometimes run that goat over a cliff and, and they would they would do away with that goat in order to show that the sin was not just Uh, dealt with on the mercy seat and the grace of God that took the place of an innocent, but that sin was separated from us. The symbolism is incredible as the high priest did all of this for the people of God. Sacrificed animal was the payment for the sins of the people. The scapegoat was the separation of those sins. Symbolizing that sin had not only been forgiven, but sin had been removed. And this incredible picture is so weird. In 2022, it doesn't even hardly register with us. I mean, I don't think that anybody this week has seen somebody sacrificing animals. If you did, I hope you called the cops. It's just strange. It, it almost seems a little unfair. I mean, who would, who would do that to a little animal? I mean, some of you have dogs. Imagine if it was your dog. Some of you say, please. Dogs just aren't as innocent. And it certainly couldn't have been a cat. Those things are evil. Man. They look at you sideways and give you the stink eye and say, "You know what? You turn your back, you might not survive me'm Glad they only weigh like eight pounds and not eight hundred that 's not fair I mean why would God?" set this picture. It's a little crazy. It's a little bit weird for us. a matter of fact, it's a little extreme. I mean, draining blood, pouring blood on this seat. I mean, sending a goat over the cliff. That's a little bit extreme. Why would God go through such an extreme trouble? Here's why. Because the perfect wanted fellowship with the imperfect. And there was only way that that could happen was the shedding of blood. God wants to have fellowship with you. But He is holy and we are not. And the only way that that could come true was justice had to be met. The rebellion had to be dealt with. And I'm so thankful that not only was there justice in this whole picture, but there was mercy. Mercy upon you. Upon me because of we, our, our, our lack of perfection, our lack of saying, oh Lord God, I'll never do it again, and you go back and you do it again. God knows how weak we are, and within this archaic, old, foreign-seeming-in-America-today tradition, God showed that a sacrifice made could satisfy God's justice. And extend his mercy for a period of time. This is what we call the old covenant. It's the old covenant, the old promise that God would use this this process of the high priest to take care of the sin of the people. It was the old promise, it was a temporary fix. The priest had to do it every year. He had to keep coming back, killing the animal every year, over and over and over. The whole process, as the frankincense arose and people understood, it's it's atonement day. But today, this conflict between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man is still a problem. Even though all that process took place, It's still a problem because 2,000 years ago the Lord rolled out an update to the old, old covenant. He rolled out an update like Apple rolls out new software or they roll out a new iPhone or an iPad. He rolled out a new update and rolling into Bethlehem Mary and Joseph And they rolled into a manger and they gave birth to a small child. His name was Jesus. Jesus was the update to this old covenant, this old process. He instituted a new covenant. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But look at verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Jesus not only became our high priest, he became the sacrifice required by God. Jesus was the the high priest. He took our place and sacrificed himself to God. Put Put that jacket on. Who's got my old jacket? I've got an old work jacket that I brought to church with me. This old jacket is dirty and it has been well oiled. I'll just tell you, there's more grease and grime on this jacket. You don't have to button it. That sucker's going to be hot. Just come up here, Eric. It's my old jacket. And an old friend wearing it. On the sleeves, you can see just nasty. It's grease and got grime all over the back. It smells a little bit. This right here, this this was... When you get older and you go underneath a barbed wire fence, you don't bend down as far. And so what happens is that barb catches you and it tore that. But I have changed a lot of oil in cars in this jacket. I've worked on trees and mowed grass and done a lot of things that were just dirty and nasty. And this jacket shows the, the, the wear and tear. What happens is in our life, we're like this old jacket. We're filled with all types of dirt, grime that the world just lays upon us. That we choose to walk into. We just, and it shows the signs of it. I don't, I don't care how hard you smile or how much you try to fake it. Let me tell you something. The wrong decisions and sin in your life will always show up in your life. You can't, you can't. Get away from it. I could throw this jacket in the in the washing machine. Of course, I would have to take it to the laundromat cuz certain somebody won't allow me to wear wash all my greasy clothes in her washing machine. I don't realize why it became her washing machine. I guess I'll let her just keep her washing machine as long as she'll just run it. But that's just I don't know. That's just what I was thinking. There's a Pretty good thought, guys. What do you think? I, I kind of like that. That's a good thought, huh, Perry? Don't say nothing, Perry. Just just say amen, Pastor. Just keep on going. This, this jacket shows a lot of wear and tear. It, it, you, just, you, can't, you can't ever get it clean. You kind of look good in it, Eric. It kind of fits you. It looks like an Eric jacket. That's why I had him do it. Yeah. What happens is our high priest... Jesus knows that we're not perfect. And he stands perfect. And so he takes our jacket. He begins to take it off. And he says, I'm going to take your jacket. And I'm going to do something important with your jacket. First of all, I'm going to trade you mine. Now, this one is not greasy. And it's not dirty. He's never wore a jacket like that. You've never had a jacket on like that? You know what? That's exactly what Jesus says. You've never had anything on like this before. Does this look like Eric, John? No? Good. It shouldn't. This doesn't look like Eric. Because he couldn't... He couldn't do this on his own because I know that what life hands us all, it ends up like this. It ends up like this. You know what Jesus does? He gives us his jacket of righteousness and holiness. And he says, as long as you wear this jacket, you've got fellowship with my father. As long as you keep this jacket on, and I'm going to take this old one. And he doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to keep it and hold on to it. You know, because what, what, we, what we think that Jesus does is he carries this jacket around. He say, oh, hey, you want to see what kind of person you use? Oh, just take a look at this. This is not, Jesus doesn't carry these old things around. He doesn't take your old life and say, hey, I'm warning you, I'll put you back in this jacket. That's not what the Lord does. His mercy is complete. He says, I'm going to take your jacket and he says, I'm going to dispose of the scapegoat. I'm going to dispose of you. You just stay right there. I'm going to do away with this. We're not even going to have this in here. We're doing away with it. This jacket is gone. It's over with. Your life is behind you. It's vanished. It's not even a part of you anymore. You don't have to return with that jacket. Your old life is over. The scapegoat has been removed from your life, from the room. And now what you have is you have the completeness of righteousness in your life. You can wear that or take it off, but you can use it uh, for the rest of the day. I want it back though, pal. The great thing is, is that when, when Eric approached and he's got that jacket on, when, when you're wearing that old tore-out, wore-out jacket, when your life shows up and you've got all the flaws and imperfections, here's the great thing about being the high priest. I told you, he was not just the sacrifice, but he's the high priest. When he sees you coming, he doesn't say, oh, man, I feel sorry for that guy. I wish I knew how it felt to have such a terror in your life. I wish I knew what it was like to... To have your hands all all you know smashed and dirty and, and having all that stuff. He's not some distant savior who doesn't understand what you're going through. He's not some fairy tale God who can't comprehend how difficult your life can be and how hard some of the choices you make, and how temptation can come in a flash and can steal your heart away. He's walked through those places. He's walked through the places of life that tear people apart. Jesus has walked through those places that darken men and women's hearts. Jesus has walked through those valleys that can ruin people's lives. And yet he always responded the same way. He kept himself from sin. Jesus, our high priest, remained perfect in all things. He never, he never sinned. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Look at what it says. Daniel, if you'd come. He says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all All of them, all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. He was perfect. I love how the message puts verse 15. It says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, but the sin. Jesus was perfect not only in life and in death. He, was our, he is our high priest. Jesus knows us. He understands us. And he relates to us as our high priest. Jesus knows what it's like to be stressed. Some of you know stress. Stress of just life. Jesus understood stress. you think about him in the garden, the Bible says that that he sweated drops of blood. He was under so much tremendous stress that in the garden, that blood began to to percolate out out of his forehead. He was under tremendous stress. He knows what it means to experience stress. Jesus knows what it means to experience conflict in your family. As Jesus was was beginning his ministry. Do you know what his brothers, even his own, his, the people that loved him the most, do you know what they called him? They called him a lunatic. He knows what it's like to deal with family contention. His half-brothers, he knows. Jesus knows what it's like to be talked about. I mean, after all, can you imagine growing up in Nazareth? Being the child that was born out of wedlock? I'm sure he heard that at least once or twice. Being talked about, being shamed, he knows what that feels like. When through the choices, not even of your own, you experience trauma in life. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted over and over again by the devil, even in the weakest, most vulnerable spots of your life. Jesus grew up in poverty. He didn't grow up in a mansion. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. Jesus knows what it's like to have a close friend die. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a family member. Because after the Christmas story, you don't see much of Joseph. Jesus knows what it's like to be accused of things that you've never done. He knows what it's like for close friends to betray Him. He even knows what it's like to feel alone. Or at least what He thought was being alone. When He was on the cross and He said, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why why have you left me so alone? That's a feeling that, that runs through the cords of so many people in this time, this season of the year. I feel so alone. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Whatever you feel, friends, he felt that. Where you hurt, he's hurt. He's not sitting in heaven saying, "Man, stinks for you. Must be bad." No. Jesus understands how you feel. Because he is our high priest. He's the perfect high priest because he's experienced those things for us. He is our high priest. He knows us. He understands us. So I just want to close with this. You say, "Okay, pastor this is great. Okay, fine." Jesus lived life. He was perfect. I am not, but what good is that to me? Here's the good. Because when you think about the details of this Christmas story, and you think about these magi who traveled this long distance to bring all of these gifts, and one of those gifts just happened to be frankincense. The smell of the priests that foreshadowed the coming of one who would be our priest for all time. When you see that Jesus offered His life and He gave everything so that He could help you in your time of need, whatever it might be, not just dealing with your sin, but dealing with your stress, dealing with your loneliness, dealing with your conflicts, dealing with your struggles, dealing with your your hurts, He is our high priest that we can go to. And so what He says is I am there if you need me all you have to do all you have to do is just come listen what hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 i'm going to close with this he says so let us come boldly that doesn't mean with your chest out and with your with walking with a strut that's not what that means that's been translated or, or, you know, misinterpreted so many times. What that let us come boldly means I can open the door and know that I will be welcomed. I won't be pushed away. I won't be rejected no matter what kind of coat I wear into the into the room, no matter how filthy I am, no matter what kind of mess I've made of my life or poor decisions or, or mistakes, I, I, I can come boldly to him and 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 look what he says to your throne Of our gracious God and there I will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. You don't have to be afraid to come to him today. You can come to him with your sin, your heartache, with your pain, with your hurts, with your loneliness, with your fear. You can come to Jesus and you can receive his mercy and you can receive his grace. And you can receive his love and his care and find forgiveness for whatever there might be in your life that's separating you or harming your relationship with God. All you have to do is come. That's all Jesus says. Come to me, come to me, come to me. He is everything that you will ever need, friend. Everything. He's everything that you need. If your life is broken by sin, then Jesus is your savior today. If your life is is, is, is if your whole life is just struggling financially, Jesus is your provider today. If you're filled with with sickness in your body, He is your healer today. If you're hurting emotionally, He is your comforter today. If you're struggling and you're tired and you're exhausted, He is your strength in your weakness. If you're battling anxiety and fear and stress, He is your peace today. All you have to do is come to Him. Because Jesus knows us that gift of frankincense reminds us that He knows me. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.